The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Working Artist Project. My name is Gregory Ajid. And uh, Mr. Darren Douglas, how are you doing tonight? Hey, man, you see I'm out here in the Swiss Alps, right? I don't know if you noticed that, Greg. You see, you see, you see my scenery back here? I see that. Wow, it's snowing up there in the Alps. It's crazy too because it's springtime. <laughs> wow, it's chilly. I'm, it's chilly because I'm so chill. It's a nice chalet you're hanging at. <laughs> Dig it up here, up here in New Jersey, man. It's like thirty something degrees, so I felt like uh, this was appropriate. Thirty so, degrees? No. See you in a no different- way. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Before we start, I got one thing to say, Greg. I got one thing to say. What's that? This podcast is brought to you by Isotope. Awesome. Thank you, Isotope. <laughs> hey, man, we got a couple of things coming up. Uh, we got to do some house cleaning before keeping. Before we get started with today's guest, in a few short weeks, we are going to have the sixth, this is the sixth or the seventh annual Sanaa Music Workshop is going to be held down in New Orleans from June 6th through June 17th. And we got some dope artists, special guests, teachers, students, and uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's, we're almost full, so maybe we should stop advertising it, but uh, go and tell them one more time, Greg. I believe we got a couple spots open, uh, but we are looking for young people between the ages of 14 and 21 that are interested in pursuing a career in the arts. And um, we're going to focus on music and also music business. So, yeah, we're just trying to come, come, come up with the, the all-encompassing uh, artist lifestyle camp educational experience. We're really excited to have the, the fantastic Marquise Hill coming in town, our first week at camp, to be our guest artist. We also have the wonderful Jason Marsalis joining us on the second week. And uh, we are in the middle of uh, booking a bunch of business guests and industry professionals to come in and talk about how the industry works. So we're hoping to to hit all aspects of the uh, just what life is like being a musician. There you go. You hear you heard it here first, folks. And uh, yeah, it's going it's going to be an exciting summer. We're we're happy to be back live and in person. But all right, man, let's get let's get right to it, Greg. Let's get right to it. We got to so we're actually, huh? Yeah. I was going to say, we're actually super excited tonight because what our guest is going to be one of the faculty members at hey. our campus here. Yeah. Go ahead and introduce her. So we have a, a fantastic, fantastic bass player joining us this evening. And um, I met her a couple years ago. Oh, gosh. Maybe, maybe 10 years ago now when she was studying at Loyola University. And uh, since that time, she has become one of the most in-demand musicians in New Orleans. And she plays with cats like Christian Scott. She's also been featured in the D.D. Bridgewater Big Band and has played with uh, everyone in, in town. So, and also, you know, she's just the very beginning of her career. So there's a very bright future ahead of her. And uh, we're, we look forward to uh, getting a chance to sit down with the wonderful Amina Scott and uh, catching up with uh, what life is like as a musician. So, y'all, let's welcome the wonderful Amina Scott to the Working Artist Project. Wow, that was such a warm welcome. Oh, (laughs) only for you. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Amina, how are you doing tonight? You know, I'm pretty good. Um, A little tired. You know, it's festival season, so nothing but work (laughs) coming in the next couple of weeks. But it's exciting, you know, so can't complain. Did you play at the French Quarter Fest this weekend? I did. I played twice at the festival, and then I had a gig like that night from like nine to midnight or something like that. But I've been going since 11, 10 a.m. yesterday. So 
Yes. <laughs> it sounds like you live in the musician, the New Orleans musician life where you're running from gig to gig to gig and then you got a gig. Yep. <laughs> you never, you never stop and never stop hustling. The hustle don't stop. Right. Stop. Hey. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's real interesting because uh, I don't know if people really realize that when jazz fest is happening, like, okay, French quarter fest, then jazz fest. And then it used to be, it's over. But it ain't over now because I think because uh, Treme happened. And so now everybody just stay in New Orleans forever. You know what I'm saying? But Yeah, music, then there's Essence Fest. Oh, yeah. Then you got Essence Fest, which is kind of like, you know, really, really a strong vibe. So cats are like really, really hustling. It's kind of like you can make all your money for the whole year in like a month and a half down at, during this time um, in New Orleans. But what what have you been up to? that you're most excited about besides uh, festival season? Um, I think for me right now, the thing that I'm most excited about is I'm, I've been writing a lot of music recently, a lot of new music. Um, I recently won a grant to go on a tour in like the southeastern part of the country with my band. And we played a lot of my tunes, but it had been stuff that I had written over the course of maybe like five or six years. Some I had been playing a lot, some were kind of new. Um, so recently I've been trying to write more, write newer stuff um, because I'm getting ready to record an album. Hopefully by the end of the year and it'll be my debut album my debut studio album, I should say. Um, so I think that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most right now. And that's a, that's a huge accomplishment for all musicians, you know, getting to the point where we all feel comfortable laying down that first uh, documentation of us with under our own name. And so congratulations. Uh, you're going to give us a sneak peek of who's going to be on the record? Um, <laughs> I have some ideas. <laughs> Um, yeah, I have some ideas, but I mean, I definitely need, it's definitely going to be like the homies. Like I couldn't do it without them. You know, they've been a big part of my development. So if they're listening, they know who they are. The homie. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'm going to block off a week just, uh, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> But, you know, so, so, so making a record is like such a huge uh, step in any artist's life, you know, for all the musicians. And what, what was that? Uh, was there something that helped you decide that now was the right time for you? Or what, what was that process like? Oh, I don't think it never stops because every once in a while I still feel like, oh, I probably shouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Um, but I guess the process for me has been like a lot of like personal growth and like just personal change um and I feel like there was a time where I wasn't really content or happy with my voice as a musician you know there were days where I didn't feel like it really mattered you know like there are times where I wanted to quit and I was like no one's gonna care if I quit or not because it doesn't bother them and I got really in my own head um and it wasn't until maybe, I don't know, like maybe four years ago where I started to feel comfortable with who I was as a musician and who I was becoming and what my lane was. And I stopped worrying about chasing like a, like a dream that I thought needed to happen. And I started focusing on, okay, so what do I want to say? Like I'm a bass player and, you know, I also, sorry, it's a lot of also's, but I think also the word jazz kind of like <laughs> was like kind of putting me in a box, you know, like I love the music, but when you say that word, it definitely comes with like a preconceived sound, a preconceived thing. And I never felt like the music that I write necessarily fit that. But then once I stopped caring about it, I started to come into like this place where I felt like my voice was unique and it mattered. And it made me really, you know, remember how people would be like, oh, you got to like carve your own lane. Like, 
like create your own voice or whatever. I never realized what that meant and like what it took to really get to being like comfortable because it's scary when no one else sounds like you. Like you're the only one who sounds like you. <laughs> and that's kind of scary. So it took a lot of soul searching, a lot of sort of reassurance from my friends, um, reassurance from some of the masters, my teachers that I was okay and that I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And if I kept doing that, then somewhere down the line, like it will all come together. And I kind of feel a lot of that starting to click now, but it took, it definitely took a while for me to be like, Oh yeah, let's do it. You know? So. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm like, this is some uh, kind of a, a theme that we ended on last week, which, which is kind of interesting finding your own voice and, leaning into who who you are which is which is which is really 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 scary to do just as a human and to say mm -hmm. there's one amina there's one greg and just to really like lean into your own creations and you know you know the most interesting one interesting thing is is not up to the creator to judge his or her creation and yes. I, I think as long as we can remember that it's like your job is to create and move on because mm -hmm. when you start judging, that's when you, you know, how can you judge it anyway? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there's a um, there's a really dope documentary on HBO and I'm forgetting what it's called, but it's about black artists like visual artists. And the idea was that they weren't really getting pushed to the forefront of like the fine art world, the high art world or whatever. Um but they were artists, so they had to create. So it's like creating with the absence of light. Like when it's dark around you, like you still have to kind of create no matter what else is going on. You're still creating constantly. So yeah, that's been, that documentary was also kind of a big influence on like how I think about my own creative process now. Yeah. Like what are you gonna do when no one's watching, when no one's giving you the time of day, but you're an artist? Are you going to stop or are you going to keep pushing and keep creating? Well, if you play jazz, Greg, ain't nobody looking anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> hey, but that's, 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 that, that removes a lot of the pressure from all of us. Cause I, I mean, I, I love what both of y'all are saying and, and, I, and I do agree that at some point it is, you know, our job is to create, it's not to, to judge and, and I think it was Jason Weaver that told me this years ago when uh, I was trying to make my first CD. And he said, uh, there's never going to be a time where you're ready. It's just, it's really just about documenting the moment. And, you know, a record is simply a snapshot of like, hey, this is how, this is how I sounded and, and we sounded on, you know, December 10th, 2012. And you make another record. January 2015, you know, and then, and, and theoretically every record should be getting a little better. And, and I think that's an important thing to remember too, is like, also you need to have a body of work, right? It's, if you have one record and it's over, how are you really supposed to judge your artistic growth? But if you have 10, 15, 20 records, I think that gives you an opportunity to really like chart like progress and in, in growth and, and really create a body of work for people to, to just, you know, admire the process. Mm -hmm. So how, how, about, how what's your second record going to be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my second record, <laughs> it's going to be a hyper pop record. And ideally it would be like, I don't know. I don't know, Greg. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think so, you know, I, I met you when you moved to New Orleans. And so maybe I was wondering, we could kind of start the journey of Amina uh, coming to New Orleans, but what, what inspired you to, you know, out of all the, the great places you could move to learn music, how did you end up in New Orleans? And um, how has that perpetuated the direction that you've uh, been moving both personally and musically over the last couple of years? Oh, yeah, I could definitely talk about that. So I think my first time being in New Orleans was during like a service trip or something like that through my high school. Um if you're Facebook friends with me and you go back far enough, you will see those days. They were pretty rough, but we ain't going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and it wasn't that long after Katrina, maybe like four or five years afterwards. 
um, 2011-ish is around the time that I went. And we were working in like, I guess what's now called the Bywater, like right off of St. Claude, that area. And in the east, and we were like ripping up flooring and painting houses, like doing roof shingles and all that. And there was one night where it was our off night and we didn't have to do any work or like any like retreat kind of things. And so we, um, we went down to bourbon street and mind you, I'm like 16, maybe 15, 15 or 16. Like all of us were. And the adults were like, okay, cool. So y'all could walk down this street and yeah, we're going to see you later. We'll meet up with you on Frenchman. And that's kind of a far walk for those who know, like it's, it's kind of far. <laughs> um, so we walked down Bourbon Street and we stopped in front of this club. And I want to say it was like Fat Cat or something like, you know, one of those like neon sign lit up clubs and everything. And there is a band playing. And at the time I was playing mostly electric bass. I wasn't really playing upright. And I was also playing a lot of like R&B, like Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind & Fire, like that kind of stuff. And so... They were playing something and I was like, oh, I know that song. And they played another song and I was like, I know that one too. Oh, I could just do this. Like, this is cool. Like, I could just come here and like hop in. Like, I know all this stuff. And I didn't get to sit in one because I was 16. And also like the group I was with, they kept moving. So we kept walking down the street. And as we walked down the street, got close to the Frenchman, I was like, oh, there is something here. Like, I want to do this. I want to come here and do this. Um, and so I left and I was applying for colleges and I pretty much applied to every school in Louisiana, except for LSU and Tulane. So I applied to Southern cause I didn't know how far Baton Rouge was. I was like, Oh, Louisiana. Cool. <laughs> so Southern, I applied to Grambling. <laughs> I applied to Xavier and I applied to Loyola. And I think I also applied to Dillard and I got into like all those places, but Loyola had like the music business program. So my mom was happy about that. So I just did that. Um, And that's pretty much how I got to New Orleans. And I think like, you know, my freshman year, me and my friend Cyrus and a couple of other people, we would take the streetcar from Loyola, from Uptown, go all the way to Canal, do that same exact walk that I was just talking about every night to go sit in. Cause I think the session y'all had the jam session on Mondays at Maison or Tuesdays at Maison. And then we would go there and we would go see Gene's music machine on their jam session day. And that's when they were playing at Maison too. So it was a lot of stuff happening. That was also back when Yuki was around too, like the final days of Yuki, I guess. And so we would go there and then we would walk back because Uber and Lyft didn't exist back then. Or they weren't really that big of a deal. (laughs) (laughs) So we would walk back to where the streetcar was and wait because the streetcar, it takes longer at night. (laughs) So Uh, it's the beauty of New Orleans is there's one streetcar. And if you miss it, you got to wait another hour. Yeah. If it's coming. <laughs> yeah, if it's coming. And so we would do that and then we would go to theory class at like 9 a.m., 9 30. But we would do that like every single week. So like we were out. And that's probably how I met a lot of people. But you know, I tell people who like ask me, like, why didn't you move to New York? Like, why didn't you go here? Why didn't you go there? And honestly, like for what I needed at the time, New Orleans was giving. You know, it gave me everything I needed, all the tools to be a great bass player. Like I learned here and I don't think, I mean, maybe I could have learned them in other, learned that in other places too, but it's like a special city with a lot of history that I'm still learning about. You know, there's still cats that people talk about that I've never heard or never heard of before. And so. Yeah. New um, New Orleans is, is one of those places that just takes care of you. Yeah. You know, and it's got a, a rich tradition and history of mentorship. I think unlike unlike many other cities, especially not New York. New York has it also, but you're on your own. You're on your own. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. in New Orleans, if you're sad, they'll invite you to their house for some food and the right. shit. <laughs> yep. 
we're going to help you get better, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's not everywhere, you know? It's not. Like, the way that the city just took me in once they heard some semblance of, like, you know, potential, they were like, oh, yeah, let's try and lift her up. Like, she might be something. And I and I love that that's this city does that. You know, it's beautiful. So I'm very grateful to live in a place like that. I think Darian said this to me one time, but I think like New Orleans is one of those few places where you have the opportunity to learn how to play a gig while you're on the gig, as opposed to many other places. You have to be ready and already know how to play the gig before you get the gig. You know, so New Orleans is definitely probably one of the the most one probably the best training ground in the world for for any young musician to come through and, and just get experience playing with fantastic musicians and playing for an audience every night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you get if you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? Oof! If I could change one thing. You know, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I if I would change anything. I don't really regret anything. I mean, I think I don't know. I think I would have. um, There's probably some things that I wish I had done when I was younger, but I don't think all of that falls on me. You know, like I wish I had done some of the like SF jazz high school programs and like some like just those things that I probably could have auditioned for and it would have been fine. But because of my own like self-consciousness, I never thought that I could do it. You know, like I remember thinking that I wanted to apply to Berkeley because all my friends were going to Berkeley and I was like, okay, I could play a tune and it'll be fine. And like. I chickened out at the last minute when they came to the Bay Area. Like, I didn't want to do it. (laughs) You know, it worked out for me, but, like, I wish I, like, had a little bit more confidence. And I, you know, back then. Would you say, like, that the lack of confidence was or is the battle that you have to fight within yourself? A hundred percent. Like, you're still doing that now, like, in or or have you conquered it or, or, like, where are you on that journey? Man, I think it's like maybe when you're younger, it's definitely a bigger hill to climb. And then as you get older, it's like you plateau like, okay, I feel comfortable with where I'm at. And then like something just triggers you and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm back where I started. (laughs) But at least like, you know, I'm 27 now. So at least now I have some tools as far as like I know how to climb up this mountain. Like, I have a walking stick. I have my boots. I have my sunglasses. Like, I'm a little bit more prepared now than I was when I was, like, 16, 17 years old. Yeah. What, when you said you were, when you were younger, you made it sound like you was 45. I was like, I know I mean it, not that old. <laughs> you're, not, you're not even 30. <laughs> yeah, when I was, you know, shit, when I was 22, you know. <laughs> Yo, but that's like a far, that's like a big age gap when you think about like maturity level, like me at 21. Oh my God. Oh, don't even get me started. Oh my God. <laughs> It's a whole nother life. <laughs> Yo, it's like a, I don't know her. I don't know her. <laughs> yeah, I was I was kind of asking about the confidence thing because I think I think it's a human thing. And one one thing, and you can tell me this, I, I have heard people say that it's more difficult for women in music to develop confidence because it is such a boys' club. And and one woman explained it like, you know, we, we have like, first of all, there's a lot more of us. So there's like a click. Mm-hmm. And, and so women feel like they're outnumbered sometimes. And it, so it's kind of harder to establish that male, what, you know, ego thing that, that we're like kind of bred up to have. Like you're a man, like rah, rah, that thing. We're, and women are, are, you know, culturally groomed to be something else. I'm, you know, this is a question I'm asking for you to no, no. clarify on, on this. If, if this is something that you feel contributed to, uh, you know, that 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 climbing that hill with your boots and your walking stick. <laughs> Probably. 
I mean, I definitely wouldn't doubt it. You know, I haven't personally, I have, I've definitely experienced like a lot of like, there's some sexism in this music for sure. You know, um, not from anyone that I'm like super close with or play a lot, with a lot, like not them. Otherwise I wouldn't play with them. But, um, but definitely like from a distance or like, you know, the occasional, like I'm trying to introduce myself and like network and they're like, oh, you fine. And it's like, that's not what I came here for. <laughs> so like, that's not what, that's not what this is. Um, but another thing that I recently thought of on kind of on that same tip is that like, so now I teach, I teach at Loyola now. Um, and when I was getting my master's and I had to do my comps, like my comprehensive exams, which were like three papers um, in a week that I had to write. Um, yes. <laughs> um, one of the papers was on women, like female bass players from 1940 to at the time, 2019. And I was like, oh, cool. That's going to be super easy. And like up to a point, it was like around 1970. Yeah, it was super easy. But anything before that was like, non-existent it's like women in this music didn't really exist <laughs> which was crazy to me and then i thought about like my own upbringing like being taught this music and i think my first female bass teacher that i had wasn't until i was in grad school and i got classical bass lessons from a woman named melanie punter who was amazing um but I was like, wow, that's actually pretty wild that I've never been taught by a woman. And then I was like, oh, OK, so it's like always like everything that we've been that I've been taught personally in when it comes to this music has been from a male perspective, you know, which is fine. You know, I'm not mad at it, but now as a woman, it influences how I teach. And so I find myself checking me all the time when I say things or like how I say something or, you know, am I being inclusive in what I teach, you know, or what the tunes for my combo, like, am I like also including women, you know, intentionally, of course. Um, and so when I teach now and I see like any of my students who identify as female, I, you know, I definitely take it upon myself to try and be like, you know, big sis professor, like, let me tell you, like, everything that I'm going to say, I'm going to be very real with you. But at the same time, like, it's because this is what's happened to me and I don't want it to happen to you. So when you're on the bandstand and you need to be you need to be in control if you're going to be the band leader, like and this is how I do it. This is how I was taught how to do it from other women and men but also other women. Um, and so I've been trying to figure out like how I could be more of a mentor to like the young ladies that I teach because I'm seeing more and more now, which is like awesome in these different university programs. Cause back when I was in school, I think at Loyola, when I was there, it might've been me and my friend Megan and that's it. <laughs> that's wild. And then she left and it was just me. And then I went to FSU and it was me and another young lady, Marissa. And then I left and it was just her. I think we both left at the same time. So, yeah, but it was it's wild, like being at Loyola and being on campus and seeing like all of these young ladies and they all do different things. And I'm like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> and they're all so dope. So. Yeah, I've definitely I forgot what the question was. I went off on a tangent, but I definitely find like <laughs> it does get hard for all of those reasons you said, Darian, that and the fact that, you know, not enough women are teaching in these programs at the highest level. So we got to change that. <laughs> what um, what is your advice to all the young women out there who are maybe looking to pick up bass? or enter into this world like how what do you tell someone who's looking to walk down the uh, the road that you're walking oh well one they should just do it mm. <laughs> definitely like do it and also like the biggest hope for me especially recently is finding your tribe of people who 
will lift you up and like you guys lift each other up. Like, I feel like in this city, I definitely have that. Like, I know my homies are going to look out for me. I know if I have a gig, they're going to do everything in their power to support me. Like, I had a friend yesterday who was like, he teaches like little babies, like elementary school kids. So he wakes up at like 5 a.m. And he was like, you know, Amina, usually I don't take these 10 to 1 a.m. gigs, but because you called me, I was like, it's going to be dope and I'm going to be there. And I was like, word, (laughs) I appreciate that. You know, like you want people in your life like that who like love you, support you, want nothing but the best for you. And of course, you're going to feel the same way about them, too. You know, but that's as a as like one of the few women in this, like, I guess, community in the scene that I'm in. I think that's super important to have like your guy and girlfriends like that who definitely look out for you. Yeah, it's, it's man, it's it's interesting. I, I've never really thought about that. And I'm sure Greg hasn't either where like, can you imagine a world where you were never taught by uh, the person who, a man or a person who looks like you? you? You know what I mean? It's like that, that really, because part of me, part of who I am are the people who taught me. And I learned so I learned how to be a good person and how to be a man from those people. And so yeah. like it's kind of it's kind of like really important, especially because Greg, you're you're an, an educator. So you're influencing like 50, 100 kids a year. Like you're you spend more time with them than they own parents do, you know? So it's representation is like is extremely important, mm-hmm. you know, from from all from from every perspective, you know. sexuality all all of it is important yeah like you know when i played in dd's big band um she had camille thurman in the sax section and she had a drummer shears at tenon on drums and when i tell you i almost cried because i was i had to be maybe 20 or 19 or 20 and there was an npr article that was spotlighting um, a bass player in New York, Mimi Jones. Do you know Mimi? Just the homie, yeah. Woo! Okay, so <laughs> she's one, been on the show. All of them been on this show. So <laughs> if I ever meet Mimi, I'm gonna be the biggest fangirl ever. So <laughs> make it happen, Darian. As soon as we get off, I'm gonna text Mimi and tell her y- y'all need to hook up. I'm gonna hit y'all. Ah, <laughs> yay! <laughs> um, so. There was an article that was about Positone Records, which is a record label. And it was Camille and I think Shirazette and Mimi. And also, I should say, Tia Fuller was also like on the scene. She was with Beyonce. And um, so she was already out there. I had seen her, but I had never seen Mimi before. Like a bass player who looks just like me, who's out here playing, doing the same things I am. I have, ne- I had never seen that. And I was like, I have to meet these women. I don't know how, I don't know how I'm gonna get to New York. Like they don't know me. I'm like in college. And so I met Shiraz at first and I was, I wanted to just kiss the floor she walked on. I was like, do you know, <laughs> I've been looking up to you for years and that's like big sis now. So Shout out to Shirazette Tenen. I love her. Um, but then when it was Camille and Shirazette, oh, I was like, this is so emotional for me. And I get emotional think about it. I'm like, wow, that was the first time that I had seen like three really dope black women like in the same space doing what I was trying to do or what I wanted to do. And that was 2015. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. Mimi kind of took me under her wing when I first moved to New York. And it's when I was going through some difficult times, like Mimi like was like, get in my car. <laughs> like, <laughs> like drove me around Harlem and was like, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Like, you know, like just like really, she really was in my corner and like, just like, it's going to be cool. Get yourself together and keep living, you know? And that's mm-hmm. the kind of person that Mimi is. And also, she's a dope musician. You know, she gave oh, me yeah. she gave me gigs when they had no gigs. I was playing at Central Park, and she was like, "Come play this gig." <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so I love that energy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's uh, we we need that, Greg. We need that. You know, 
Amina, what was the first, what was the first gig that you got where you maybe like, you felt like you made it or you felt like, holy crap, this is happening to me right now. It's probably that gig you had with me, but go ahead and tell your story. <laughs> um, woof, okay, first gig. I don't know. Can I say that it comes in phases for sure? So like I would say maybe the first gig where I was like, yes, this is the pinnacle of my career right now um, was when I started playing with Jesse's band full time. It was like me, Jason and Max were all on the gig together. And then one by one, like slowly but surely, it started to just be me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, four hours every week. Let's go. No breaks. Now he gave us a break. I'm lying. He did give us a break. And this was this was back at the prime example, right? Yeah, prime example. Yes. With Justin McBride. Everyone who's listening, check yes. out Justin McBride. Yeah. Like for a young person in New Orleans, that was like the stepping stone to like everything else that's great. And so that was really awesome. And then um my first ever like road gig was with Nick Payton. And I was so terrified. Like, I was so scared. One, because, oh, no. Well, he was my first, that was my first road gig. But we had played a gig before then. And I remember he called me. And I think I had just graduated college. And I thought the gig was, like, that day. Because he didn't give me, like, the day. <laughs> just to, are you available for a gig? And I was like, yeah. And I was freaking out. I was like, what are we going to play? Like, I don't know the music, blah, blah, blah. And so he, I called Jesse and cause him and Jesse are really tight. And I told him about it and I was like, yo, I'm so nervous. And he was like, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. He's got the music. And I was like, okay. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, he ain't sent me the music yet. Like what's happening and the, I get a text like maybe two hours later, like, oh, by the way, the gig's not today. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know where the gig is. Like, <laughs> that's hilarious. <And> then, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. But I, when I tell you, I was like petrified. I was like, how did he get my number? What? And it was also crazy because like him and a couple of other folks like I had been I grew up listening to them like in high school so for me to share the bandstand that was like a place I never thought I would be you know and so to be there it was like wow this is pretty crazy I don't think I've made it yet I don't believe that I'm actually here playing but like I guess we doing it <laughs> and then our my first road gig was like with Nick somewhere in Washington and then yeah we about to play. We about to play one of these tunes. We it's it's called Persistence. Amina was listening to my record, and so she decided to name her song the same thing. Wow! <laughs> you gonna take it there? <laughs> wow! No, y'all. Here we go. Let's let's check it out. Persistence.
There it is right there, y'all. Persistence by Amina Scott. What what was that song about? Was what happened? Whew, a lot. Ah, uh, tell me. Um, <laughs> well, I could tell you, I guess it could all be, best be described in how I wrote it. So um, I was in grad school and I think I had like a lesson coming up. And so I had to practice and I don't remember what I was doing, but like I had this random thought in my head. I was like, huh, I wonder like if I could. Oh, you know what happened? Ben Wendell had just kind of came and gave a concert. So he came through and you know if you've seen like his duo thing that he was doing like a couple years ago he did a lot of those songs and like they all had this like rhythmic bass thing a lot of them did so i was thinking of linda O because he did one with linda O, and i was like i wonder if she would play something like this which i don't know if she would or not but that's where the inspiration came from so that's the bass line and I was really stressed out like all the time. So if you see me between 2017 and 2019, I was on edge about something and like the smallest thing could trigger like a major reaction. <laughs> and so the A sections were like representing that like very chaotic, like angular, however you want to describe it. And then the B sections are really like calm, serene, a little bit more peaceful but the chaos is still kind of in the background um but all just very intense so it's just a lot of intense emotions happening <laughs> thanks to uh just grad school stressing me out all the time <laughs> in a good way though it came out you know what, what's the what's the saying like to make diamonds you need pressure or something like that whatever that saying is <laughs> Or dog poop. I'm not really sure how it works. Yeah, I'm not really sure how it works. <laughs> words, if you need diamonds, you need a lot of money. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> and a lot of help. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's what that song's about. I, I want to... So, so, you know, I feel like over the last couple of years... You've you've really been on the come up, and 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 what I mean by that is I feel like that I mean especially within New Orleans, but you've really been making kind of like a, a name for yourself nationally and internationally, and so I feel like it's only a matter of time before you know everyone is talking about Amina Scott, and you know that, that's just my personal view, and I was wondering like as as you're moving forward into you know being more recognized as being a great musician and also being a great mentor to, to all the young people. What is one thing that you want everyone to know about your journey um, to that point? Is there, is there anything about yourself or your experience that you feel is important that people should know about you before, before they just like, you know, wake up one day and they're like, Oh yeah. Have you like Amina Scott, she won a Grammy. She was just, just always killing, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll start by saying that no, I was not always killing as the as they say. <laughs> um, I guess what I want people to know is like, you know, what we do takes a lot of work. And, you know, I've been in New Orleans, I guess in August, it would be 10 years. And I really didn't start getting gigs here until maybe my senior year. Um, it started with like very pay the dues types of gigs, like gigs where nobody was there. Like we were talking about prime example, some Wednesdays would be popping. Some Wednesdays, it would just be the people working. <laughs> some Wednesdays, they stopped us early because nobody was there, you know? And, you know, I, I definitely think the saying like, I don't, well, actually, I, I don't, don't quote me on it because I forgot the quote, but it's basically how, like, you know, success is basically luck meets preparation or like the opportunity meets preparation. And I feel like that's been so true for me. Like, I don't think any gig I've gotten, there wasn't a gig that I've had that I've been, that I felt unprepared for. Sometimes I might not have believed in myself enough, but like, was I ever truly unprepared? Probably not. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten the gig. You know, so 
Um, it took years of preparation, years of work. Like I didn't start playing upright till I was 16. I didn't start playing bass till I was 12. So, which is kind of late considering that most people start their instrument when they're like three or four, maybe five years old. So started pretty late and some days I feel like I'm playing catch up all the time, but you know, I guess if like my name blew up tomorrow, like it's been years in the making, you know, at least two decades in the making, to be honest. So um, it didn't happen overnight if it happens. <laughs> when it when it happens, I just want everybody to listen to this to know that Amina been in the trenches and that shit was supposed to happen. She ain't been bullshit. That's basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically what she said. I, I love the thing that some people say, you know, success leaves clues, mm. you know, and so, you know, I'm sure you've modeled yourself in your career after some other successful person. Mm-hmm. And, and like when you do something and you something positive happens, you're like, oh, I need to do more of that. You, you do something, yeah. people ignore you like, oh, let me do a bit, a little bit less of that. And, you know, th- that process is what people don't see. And, and we can recognize that by seeing people like, uh, J Bat or Beyonce. It's like be, for years, Beyonce was playing pageants and doing this, and J Bat was just walking down, you know, in, in Chinatown playing random gigs for no reason for free. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like that was he was always doing it. You you have always been doing it. So so when you get recognized for it, you just think to yourself, it's about damn time. Pay me. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a great essay of um Amiri Baraka who and he spent the day with Roy Haynes. This is back when he was playing with Stan Getz a lot. And the downbeat poll had just come out <laughs> and he won the best rising star drummer. And he's like, Rising Star, I've been in the business for 30 years. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way it goes. <laughs> I was like, yo, that's real, because I would have said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Things haven't changed much over this amount of time because I'm pretty sure everyone who's a rising star has been in the business for 30 years too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what people don't really realize, you know? Like, yes, there's some people who come from like very rich families. And of course, they have all the money to get to have a team when they're like 18. But like a lot of us, you know, I could probably say the same about everybody that's really big on the scene right now. They've been working, grinding, you know? Mm-hmm. One thing I but, learned from Greg is enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the process. I tell myself that every day. Enjoy the process. Yes. <laughs> it's the mantra to get you through everything. <laughs> so you, might, you might never get the Rising Star Award, you know? <laughs> you might not, but it's not about that, you know? It's not about yeah. that. Yeah, it's definitely about the process and, and loving what you do and, and just coming back every day and, and just recommitting yourself to, you know, what, what you do, you know, whether you're a musician or an artist or a lawyer or anything, just just showing up and finding some joy in how you spend your time. Exactly. Exactly. What do you what do you hate about? What do you hate about? Just about what do you hate about? Well, should I be honest? That's what we are here for. Honesty. So I ain't gonna lie. I was really sad when my team lost last night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I saw it on Instagram and I was like, oh, no. Golden State lose is what we're talking about. Yeah, I believe they lost. We're still up. I think it, what is it, 2-2 two, two, or 2-3-1 two, or something like that? Like, we're so don't worry, the Pelicans won. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That, Yo, that, me, that and, hilarious. me and Steve, Steve Lands, man, we about to not be friends in like two weeks. Because <laughs> of the Pelicans. <laughs> He he sends me stuff and I'm like, see, this is why I don't post your stuff no more because you just you just getting on my team and I don't appreciate it. <laughs>
But then, you know, I have to throw some stuff back at him. But yeah, that's now what we, I hate. We just we just learned that Amina is a New Orleans Pelicans hater, y'all. That's what we, <laughs> that's what we just learned. She hates the Pelicans. I don't I don't hate the Pelicans. You know, I respect them because I but I did go to one Pelicans game this season and I was definitely screaming about how my team at the time they were number one. Which they were, and they always will be forever. Like the way you are with Uno, that's how I am with the Warriors. Oh, that's just, okay. it's, it's, I respect <laughs> it. I respect it. Uh, well, I'm like that with the Lakers too. But I'm not even going. I'm not going to go there tonight. We, we, we look. We coming to an, <laughs> we coming to an end. I got to stop it right now, Greg. <laughs> well, I mean, thank thank God for the Lakers because the Lakers hooked up this current Pelicans team. I got to say, they did. They, did. they, they did. really hooked. They hooked you know, it up. <laughs> Okay, a uh, whole team. Look at us at home, y'all in the playoffs. Ain't this some bullshit? All right, now look, man, I gotta, I gotta end this podcast right now because of Greg, man, and Amina, man. Uh, Amina, before we, <laughs> before we go, I definitely want to give you an opportunity to tell everybody where to buy your "I Hate New Orleans Pelicans" T-shirts and your up and coming record and everything else you got for sale. Well, you could always visit aminascott.com. That's A-M-I-N-A-S-C-O-T-T dot C-O-M um, to find out where I'm playing, um, to keep get updates on things. You can follow me on Instagram. I think it's all linked on my website if you go there. You can follow me on Facebook if you use that. Um, I don't have Twitter, so good luck <laughs> if that's all you got. Um but yeah, you could go to any of my social media stuff for updates and what's whatever tickles your fancy. I love that. Amina Scott, y'all. And, and be on the lookout because I feel like Amina is going to be the next next the cat, you know? Aww. <laughs> <laughs> the next Miles Davis. How about oh that? Oh my God. Thanks, Greg and Darian. <laughs> you earned it. You earned it. You're doing great things and we're, we're so happy to have you uh here we're so happy to have you joining us on the podcast i'm so happy every time we get to play a gig together and um, we're also very excited to have you joining us for our uh, sanaa music workshop coming up this summer so thank you so much for everything Mina. oh thank you guys i'm excited can't i'm looking forward to it can't wait absolutely y'all and uh shout out to our biggest friend fan mary evelyn <laughs> just want to shout her out before we get out of here she's here every week but uh all right y'all my name is darian douglas you know my name is gregory ajid amina thank you so much thank you we'll catch y'all next time peace